0: Hey, to come in and meet, man. Y'all to see me eat, man. Hit on the meat man. Y'all to see me eat, man. I got jaws like a bat, trap a teeth like a razor. I made tag tongue with a sensitive taste. I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a muscle greener showing the hell of a like a medium to meat man. Y'all to see me eat,
1: man. New York City. I hear it never sleeps. If you cook barbecue, you know that sleep isn't always an option. Hard work sometimes means losing some sleep. Now, if you're looking for hardworking people, New York is not a bad place to start. If you're looking for Texas barbecue in New York City, you only have a few destinations. In fact, one of the best spots isn't even on the island of Manhattan. It's in a small neighborhood in a corner of Brooklyn called Red Hook. The restaurant, Hometown Barbecue. The owner and creator, Billy Durney. Billy didn't start his life wanting to cook barbecue. He worked private security for celebrities and traveled all over the world. During his travels, he discovered some barbecue while in South America and traveling through Texas. His most memorable stop was eating at Louie Miller Barbecue. From then on, he knew he'd quit the road and start cooking. Billy is known for his big heart. When he was building out his restaurant the first time in 2012, Hurricane Sandy destroyed everything in the building except his smoker. Even after this devastating loss, he lit the fire and started cooking. He fed the people of Red Hook for days with donated meat uh, while everyone was rebuilding after the storm. He even told me he had 20 minutes, and we ended up talking for over an hour. He's a great friend of Wayne Miller, who is also a great friend of the show. He's a huge sweetheart who loves his life. He has nothing but amazing things to say to all the people in his restaurant and even dragged in his pit boss, Michael Conlin to talk about their experiences at Memphis in May. He's a great man, a generous man, and someone who I love running into on the road. So please enjoy this fun conversation with Billy Durney at Hometown Barbecue. I'm
0: here with Billy Durney at Hometown Barbecue. How's it going, man? Awesome. You
1: feeling good?
0: Yeah, super psyched to be uh, trying to wrap up um, some wine tasting today, as you can see, um, I have my, my whole team here for the next project we're doing called Red Hook Tavern. So today is eight hours straight of wine testing. So, wow. um, is that like? We're up to about 170 skews for the wine list. We're just trying to fill a couple gaps. So, so from 10 a.m. to you know, 5 or 6 at night, we'll be testing over 100 wines today. Does that feel like an endeavor or is that kind
1: of like a perk of the job?
0: Oh, I mean, I mean, where, you know, wine has definitely become an obsession for me over the over the last five or six years, as did barbecue, you know, kind of hit me both the same. Um, uh, So when I get in, I get in all the way and this is what happens. So um, the guys I'm tasting with today, uh, Jeff Porter is one of the you know, thought leaders on Italian wine in America, and just wine in general, and just left his job at um, a huge company, corporate, as the corporate wine director for a huge company, and Kenneth was, uh, who's going to be our psalm at the Red Oak Tavern, um, comes from uh, Lupa, which is a really well-known restaurant here in New York City, and so he'll be running our front of the house. So it's exciting to just be with them, and um, yeah, it's definitely a perk of the job. But it's also you know we tasted seven, eight hundred wines, and only you know twenty percent of those will wind up on the list. So there's wow. a lot of, I wouldn't say bad wine, but just not what we're looking for. So, but yeah, just like barbecue hit me many, many years ago, uh, the wine bug has hit me, and very you know particularly natural, biodynamic wines that are uh, that are farmed really responsibly with minimal intervention and uh, for us here at hometown we have a a really significant wine program in place now as well which obviously as you know most barbecue restaurants around the country don't really focus on on wine but um, i think it actually is the best thing that pairs with barbecue Um, there's so many uh, fatty meats and you need you know the acidity and um, some some fruit sometimes to cut that so Um, Personally, I think it pairs best with it, and uh, we spent a lot of time trying to get people on board here. You know, we are very busy at the restaurant, but, you know, when it comes to what people want to drink, I think they still think whiskey or beer when it comes to barbecue, and although that definitely is the Americana stance, and there's no one more Americana than me, but, um, but it's just not factual. I mean, the wine really pairs well with
1: barbecue, so. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been working with a couple guys in Texas. My friend Jason Hisaws, uh represents a bunch of Texas wineries, and he's been getting wine into a lot of the really kind of classic barbecue places. So it's fun yeah, to see. Yeah,
0: I mean it's super smart. I mean, um, especially especially the people who are farming responsibly. You know how it all happened really was. You know we sourced the best meats in the world to cook here at hometown and you know, we had these crappy wines that were sprayed with herbicides and pesticides and just had no real soul to them as far as the farming was concerned. So we were paying so much time being responsible to the farmers for our poultry, for our beef, for our pork, for our lamb, but not really considering the fact that these grapes that are farmed and harvested the same way um, were being carelessly um, handled, so uh, that kind of started my quest into um, the farming aspect of it. And as I started to learn more about it, it really made you know perfect sense just to pair our food, farmed by some of the great farmers in our country, agriculturally, the same way as we would drink our wines. So that's kind of how it all started. And then you know, once you start tasting some of these wines, knowing the stories, a lot of these farmers are husband and wives. <clears throat> mother-daughters, you know, many multiple generations, especially the ones in France, many multiple generations. Um, uh, a lot of people who used to farm con- conventionally, um, not even the old gardens, you know, starting in the uh, in the 70s through the 90s, have been changing their practices throughout the most important parts of France, like Burgundy and stuff like that. So, um, when you see guys from the Cote d'Or. Changing all their concepts to this natural biodynamic farming, um, and now that you know the New York Times is writing about it, and, you know everybody's writing about it. You know um, how important it is that we 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 um, we respect the way this wine is made. So that's kind of a, kind of my deal as far as what's going on here this morning. <laughs> well, and do you think that the natural
1: process, the really paying attention, just like barbecue. It brings out the flavor.
0: It really t- changes the taste of the wine. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you get the complete terroir, right? So, so if you're if you're drinking wine from soil uh, like limestone, or you know, and you have that get that minerality, or wines from Sicily that are <clears throat> from Etna that are volcanic, and um, you're tasting all that within the the, the wine because. Um, the wine is unintervened with. I mean, sorry, the the land is unintervened with. So, other than introducing other biodiverse things like other little animals or stuff that eat funguses and stuff like that, you'll um, you know you're going to get the true sense of what the grape is. That's why a lot of natural wines are called juice, because essentially it's fermented juice and it ferments. Um, you know, it was all different. You yeah. know, two separate things. There's there's farming and then there's winemaking. Um, the the farmers who you know normally the same people do it, but um, but the practices are, are, are very different. And I, some some really great farmers also then um, uh, utilize the greatest practices as well in the winemaking themselves, like not introducing too much sulfur or um, just adding additives to preserve the wines and stuff like that. Most of the wines we're drinking are really fresh, and the the vintages are within you know. Three years, two, three years. These aren't wines you hold for long periods of time. So, um, but yeah, you get, you definitely get the truest, the truest form of the grape because you're getting the exact terroir from wherever that is um, in the world. You know, is it southern exposure? Is there wind coming off the ocean? Is it, is it close to the sea? If you do, you'll have a lot of salinity in your wine. Um, it's just some of the wines that I love the most that are salinity, uh, have salinity and acidity and minerality. <clears throat> and I think those are the wines that actually pair best with barbecues, this stuff that's kind of gripping acidic, you know? Yeah.
1: And so you just spent, uh,
0: what was it, like, three days in LA? Uh, I was or? there for, yeah, I was there for like about five days. Nice. But uh, I got to, like, you know, I, I got to see some friends and stuff before work kicked in. Um, L.A. Uh, L.A. Will always have kind of a special place to me. In my past career, I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles, um, uh, on and off there for long periods of time. And um, now I have a lot of friends and family that live there. My brother-in-law lives there. My um, my wife's best friend lives there, and, and and I just have a slew of friends there, chef friends and friends from my, a lot going on Friends from my past career, and yeah, I mean, I think I think. I, yeah, you know, it's so funny. Like people talk about this New York barbecue scene that's kind of taken off, but really, it's Los Angeles that's taking. I think it is. I mean, I think I think the quality that's coming out of the Los Angeles right now is is really at a high level, and I'm really happy to see that because the one thing that's important to me about the future of barbecue or what my position in the world of community, in the community of barbecue is is to pass on the message that um, I think that buildings that look like this, hundred year old buildings that look like honky tonks, aren't the future of barbecue. Um, they're definitely the past of barbecue um, and what we all love about the history of it. But I think, I think we're moving on and I think what's happening now is and we were definitely, you know, one of the first people to introduce it was the fact that I'm a street cooker in Brooklyn. It didn't make any sense for me to make, you know, um, East Carolina style pork or Texas style brisket for that matter. We always joke around with all my friends in Texas, and you know I'm um, very fond and have a lot of a lot of friends in Texas. Absolutely, Um, but I always say I don't know how I don't know I don't know I didn't know Central Texas invented salt and pepper. You know what I mean? So (laughs) uh, I say that jokingly, but uh, we obviously pay homage to the beef rib of Louie Miller and um, and 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 brisket um, from from Central Texas here. But everything else on the menu is multi ethnic. You know we have hola bien, todo bien. So we have, um, we have, uh, you know, Oaxacan tacos, and you know, we press our own, we hand make our own tortillas from scratch every single morning. And, um, we, you know, have Vietnamese lamb belly and Korean sticky ribs, and just all these things that represent, you know, the the smells and the places that I was around as a very young boy, uh, growing up in East Flatbush, Brooklyn. Um, So I wanted to, be able to use the same wood-fired cooking techniques that they do in in Central Texas um, and Eastern North Carolina—the two places that I love the most as far as barbecue is concerned—and um, and, and then manipulate the flavors to the multi-ethnic you know communities that I grew up living in. So, uh, so that's kind of what you see here. And I think my hope for the future of barbecue is that it is uh, that that people take in, hey, how are you today? Good, Julian. Um, I hope that people take in their own cultures and, then, um, and their own experiences and then show that through their food. Um, obviously, you know, as we are talking, I was just in LA and um, I like the fact that, I like the fact that uh, Bert from Trudy's Underground is doing pastrami. You know, I wish he'd even, uh, you know, push him more. You know, him and I have spoken privately about, like, him really in, uh, introducing his Israeli roots into his food, which I think could be extraordinary, extraordinary when it comes to smoked meats. I think all those flavors match up and pair perfectly, kind of like my Asian influences and stuff like that, that I brought into my barbecue, and I think slowly but surely he's he's seeing that and he's going to do that. Um, and then you know these guys this Moosecraft barbecue really impressed me I, I think they were uh, they were um, I mean all well, they all impressed me for different reasons but I really liked that they tapped into their, their heritage and um, I thought that that um, the sausage yeah I thought that poblano sausage that uh, it was was extraordinary I thought the taco was really really interesting um, I, I like. I just like the fact that that's happening into their culture. I think Miguel Vidal from Valentinas sure. obviously put the mark on that when it comes to the Latino side of things, and then um, the guys from 2M and you know, you know, some of the places around Texas that have all their strong um, um, Tejano roots um, started putting their culture in it, and that's what I'm most uh, excited about. Um, you know, you got this kid Matt Horn who's making some crazy barbecue, um, the highest level. I think they all start with Aaron's playbook and then they're all now, and which is fine. And actually I had a big talk about it, that with Aaron, um, while I was not a big talk, but you know, just, it was like, it was kind of interesting. I mean, I looked down the line of, of pits and like almost every single pit, was a replica of, of his pit yeah. that he built with his bare hands many years ago. And, you know, personally, I, I think I think it's super flattering, you know what I mean? I'm sure he does too, in a way, but it has to be kind of weird for him to see that. I mean, that was his, he created those things, he created those concepts. So, um, to look down those that line when we were in LA and see like four smokers and everything was the same, like like, it was his pit, yeah. essentially. And then, you know, how the the plates are made and how the briskets are sliced. It's like, you know, I I first saw that in a very specific uh, wooden soldier fashion, everything's in the perfect order kind of place, first from Aaron. Um, And Aaron and I don't talk a ton about barbecue. I mean, we, we like to talk about a lot of other things, but, uh, when we first met, I you know I, I definitely picked his brain, and that's the one thing I, I took away from him um, without having any formal conversation with him about barbecue, but the one thing I took away was the fact that everything was identical every single time he was doing it, and I thought that was, uh, I think that is the key to what we do at a really high level, is that they all have to, every every part of the situation from the moisture content in the wood to, um, to what's the environment inside the cooker and, you know, how, how you're shoveling the coals and how you're distributing the coals, and um, all those things are done the exact same way pretty much every time. How the briskets, how the spares, how the pork, how the everything is done is done the exact same way every time. If you open one of um, these pits these days, every, I mean, it looks like wooden soldiers. Every brisket is in perfect form. Every spare is in perfect form there's no messiness it's and all that matters to the end result so i think aaron wrote the playbook Lee, well we know he literally wrote the playbook but and he's got a master class now too uh, yeah i just saw that actually yesterday yeah. i was going to call him this morning and, and congratulate him i mean i'd spend, he didn't mention that to me when we were in la um, but that's very that's, that's obviously like yeah. aaron not to talk about himself so um but i i, I was Amazed by that and I think that they couldn't have a better guy as far as that's concerned I mean Aaron also does have a really easy way about explaining what he does and how he does it and um, You know, I was super stoked when he wrote the book with Jordan McKay about barbecue I mean about briskets. I mean obviously I was already established in doing my thing but but I said I said you're gonna see the community changed, and people stopped making really, really, really high-end brisket. And sure enough, you know, uh, now you see around the country, guys like Leonard at Truth Barbecue. I think making some of the most world-class barbecue. Yeah, I think he. I think he's he's, he's very unique, very special, and um, and you know, I root for him all day long. I, I, I him and I clicked as soon as we met, and um, from afar we talk and kind of uh, consult a little bit as far as, you know, questions here and there. We both have, um, but I think, I think he's, he was like one of the first guys I saw. And I was like, wow, that, that kind of looks like right out of that playbook. And, um, but he's doing it at the most extraordinary high level. And now when I come to LA and um, see these guys having the similar thing and the same look, and you know, it, t- it takes a lot of work to get that fine tuned in like that. And these guys have it really fine tuned, so. When we're talking about hola, good morning buenas when we're talking about like um, the next big city with big barbecue cooks really la is i think doing some some serious work and so uh you know leonard has a great crew um, yep well of course yeah of course we, we i'm useless without my crew I'm that's absolutely what I was ask useless. About oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you. if you haven't heard this about me, I'm always trying to step out of these things and put someone else in to talk about this stuff that's been doing the hard work. You know, I haven't really cooked here in a few years. Um, other than uh, internally, I'm on the grill probably once or twice a week and nice. weekends. And I'm still cleaning the bathrooms and running food and stuff like that. But physically making the barbecue, Mike Conlon was the executive pit guy for. Um, we don't use that master word in this building. I think it's the silliest, stupidest term in the world. So, um, Pit guys. Yeah. Pit bombs, pit bosses, pit whatever is fire. <laughs> t- I call dude. myself a fire tender, you know? Um, it literally says that on my business card fire nice. maker. Um, but for me, uh, they, they deserve all the credit. Cause literally, you know, we feed five, 6,000 people a week and they're the ones Doing the heavy lifting now, so I like to put them in front of it as much as possible. Yeah. So when you talk about the crews and and the people doing all that hard real work, you know, you can't forget um, you can't forget the uh, the clay cowgills and they. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I can keep going yeah. on and on with the bronze and uh, <clears throat> and all the guys in the back. You know, I really want you
1: to meet Mighty Joe Yim. He's a guy that works for Leonard, and he worked in Austin. He's the kind of dude that will work 16 hours. What's his name? Uh, Joe Yim. Joe Yim. I don't know that um,
0: But we call him Mighty Joe Yim. Uh, Evan Leroy actually dubbed him that. Well, he's a, I mean, talk about a perfect example. I mean, Evan and I became friends years ago. Um, when I was first, first coming out, and I think he was really interested in the fact that I was doing a lot of out-of-the-box stuff. And... Uh, look at look at where he's come from. I mean, I remember visiting him at freeman's thinking you know wow, this stuff's really good, but what what's 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 next for this guy and and now, of course, I think he's I think he's really setting the trend um, of I, you know I, we don't like being called New World barbecue or this barbecue or whatever i don't believe in all these titles, you know, but the fact that he's cooking. Some of the stuff he's cooking, um, and, and again, in these multi ethnic ways and uh, with, with less popular cuts and stuff like that, yeah. I think I think is really interesting. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say who, who I send people to, but he's definitely one of them. That when people are going to Texas, yeah. to where I'm sending them, because I think his stuff is very unique. And again, you talk about a team, you know, you got Chud, you got, I mean, that, those three or four guys. And then several women, obviously, you know, were super it's hard higher, in your place. Yeah, yeah, Um that's, That is as tight-knit crew as you're gonna get in the barbecue community. You know, what is it, seven or eight people running that whole thing uh, every single day. So um, I think Evan is the future, definitely, of, of what's happening in barbecue. And... Um, the and, borders are kind of falling down, you know? Well, they should be. I mean, I mean you know, we, di- we didn't, you know. I mean, they, they do this. Call, they, we call this our cuisine, but you know, people were cooking on wood fire hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago um, all around the world for sustenance. So um, I think what happened in Central Texas, especially with the Czech German community coming and um, the curing of meat, so you know, because without you know, we didn't have refrigeration, I think all that is what got really me hooked into barbecue. is was really unique and. Um, but we have to have a more world view when it comes to barbecue these days. It's not all about, you know, whole pork or burn end from Kansas City and, um, or brisket from Texas. Um, you know, it's, I remember when Miguel Vidal opened up, when um, him and Modesty moved to the place that they're at now, they had this big party, and I happened to be in Texas in Austin and I went to the party and, um, I, you know, he was doing like Marsala dishes with beef rib and, uh, um, you know, a fish dish, and you know, and I was like, and he was like, man, I just wanted you to see that I'm, you know, like, I'm, I'm digging in here. Yeah, you know, putting it out there. I'm putting it out there and I, I was blown away. First of all, it was delicious, you know, the first thing, first things first, it has to taste good, right, right. no matter what, you know. Um, but Miguel and Evan and Leonard and you know these, these guys from from that region I think are just totally changing the game on how people see you know when I st- even when I started making barbecue originally started making barbecue and visiting Texas there was nothing in Austin nothing I mean this yeah. is pre Aaron you know, a year or two pre-earned probably. That's right when I moved there, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I mean, it was a wasteland. I mean, there's a couple old places that, you know, were knocking it around, but not really doing anything great. And I remember the first brisket I ever had was at Smitty's. Um, and I was, first of all, walking in Smitty's. I walked into the parking lot exits, and I almost, I almost singed my leg. And I was like, what the F is going on in this place? Yeah. i never seen an open fire before. never, ever seen anything like that. Um, well, it's it's crazy because the fire
1: is sucked in. There's no fire box. No, there's it's not. It's nice. Yeah, sucked
0: through a hole. Exactly. So, and I was I was I mean that was one of the places that absolutely changed me. You know, it was Smitty's walking in that first time, and then of course you know everyone knows the story about me walking into Louis Miller now and and it uh, changing my life forever. And oh. uh, I'll always be indebted to um, to that place for for giving me the, uh, the will, the want, the courage to um, do barbecue in the middle of the ass end of Brooklyn for a bunch of people who definitely didn't think I was gonna make anything worth the shit. So, um, but it was definitely walking into that building that inspired me in so many ways. I mean, just, I just couldn't imagine that that place, I didn't know that place existed before in my the life. The cathedral of smoke. The cathedral of smoke, right. Um, and run by one of the smartest human beings, not, not barbecue related, of course he's smart, barbecue yeah. related, but just one of the smartest guys you'll ever meet in Wayne Miller. I mean, um, you know, he's a philosopher and a teacher and a student and uh, a lot of things. So, um, so, yeah, so that place will always have the most special place in my heart. It'll always be my favorite barbecue in the world. Um, I don't like talking about bests, best lists. I don't uh, care about that. Um, when, people, when people say it about this restaurant, we kind of ignore it. Um, you know, politely thank them and move on. And um, but we certainly don't believe in you know in bests. Well, I always so, tell people yeah. you know
1: best like lists in general are just kind of for people that don't necessarily have time to or are just too lazy to explore for themselves. So I I encourage everyone that listens to this show to not
0: worry about lists and to just go try it. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, um, I'm not. You know, I'm not knocking. I mean, I, I, I'm not. There's there's only like one or two lists that actually matter, in, in my opinion, in in the entire scope of, of barbecue, because the people writing about them are really um, they're embedded. They're embedded, as as embedded as you can be. But when um, I don't want to knock the, the, the social media lists, but when whomever yeah. writes their thing, top the ten, top, top twelve, 30, top three. And it's, you know, it's every one of us laugh about it. No one one cares. um, Whether we're on them or not doesn't really matter. I think, uh, as you know, um, interviewing and now being friends with who are the best barbecue guys, there's not a lot of them. You know, Is I remember, I I won't say who I was with, but I remember having a conversation with a a bunch of who I considered some of the best barbecue men in the world. I was like, yeah, man, there has to be like 20 great barbecue places in the country. And they were like, 20? Like, what are you eating? And I was like, wow, you guys haven't had 20 really good meals and stuff? And like, I I think what that says is how really, (laughs) talk about embedded, how really, in they are to the process and to to what they consider really high-end uh, so meat. Uh,
1: I ask everyone this uh, we've got guys working in pits guys trying to open their own restaurants what's your message to the the people who just love fire and meat and are trying you know whether at home or in a
0: restaurant, to kind of elevate what they're doing. Why do you think you have to talk out of your own voice? You know, I mean, if you're trying, I absolutely think that, you know, reading books and stuff like that and and getting the the maps, as we've discussed already in the interview, um, of how the process all works, once you do that, you have to incorporate your heart and soul into it, because if not, it's just going to be a rip-off or a copy of what someone before you created and so that's my thing, my thing My thing for young people that are home and that are watching us and that are saying, hey, wow, these guys did it. If you watch the guys who are doing it at the highest level now, they've all created their own space in the market and, um, and, and are really tapping into their own diverse cultures and, and diverse eth- ethnicities. So for me... You know, and take it slow. Take it slow. I love. I love the. I love the that that Central Texas concept where you know you kind of out hustling and smorgas. You're not smorgasbord. You don't have that there, but oh, you do now. Actually, in L- oh, In L. A. They do, um, but you don't have that in Texas. But uh, I we think, have a lot of barbecue events, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think those things are the, are your are your growing grounds. Like to see to get the get the pulse of the community. Yeah. Um, but I think the last thing Central Texas needs is, you know, 20 new barbecue restaurants that all look, feel, smell like Aaron's place. Yeah. Um, it dilutes what, and even if it's that high of a quality, because, you know, the books are out there, the map is out there for you to work on. The so master class is the out masterclass there. The master class is out there. So, um, and I don't really want to make it about him, you know, he deserves this credit, but, I, I, I but when you see that, when you see twenty or thirty places, then you don't really have to go to those places because you know exactly what you're going to get every single time you go. I mean, you can find your own favorite one, and you, can, you, know, uh, you know, you know, go there. And it was a barbecue place that we—I got speaking of lists—we got named in this thing. Me, me and this barbecue place in Central Texas, Curlin's, which I'm sure you know. Yeah. And I don't know those folks, but. Bill Curlin's a fun guy, he's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I don't know those folks, but I will say, a few years ago, when we were on this list together, I just happened to be in Austin, like, you know, I, obviously I'm there a lot, and uh, have a lot of uh, friends there, and um, I was there and I checked out his barbecue, and I was amazed at, I mean, that was there was a line, but it was like, you know, 15 people on a line. Yeah. Easy. And, um, and it was easy. The quality of that barbecue that day was as high as the standard can go, in my opinion, in, in Central Texas when I ate it that day at that time. You know, they didn't know who I was. They weren't cutting me a perfect slice yeah. of anything. They just was letting it rip. And um, so it was one of those things that I was like, wow, this is, this is what I mean. Like if there, if there are people, if, if there are so many people, people that are uncovered And they don't have 400 people waiting on a line but the quality is this high then are people really understanding you know where they should be trying and eating and stuff like that so um, but i thought it was very interesting that one place had 400 people on a line one place had 15 people on a line and the quality was as good in both places so you can get you can actually get good brisket in Austin now till like
1: 8 or 9 p.m.
0: You should, and, and that's the other thing. Uh, and that's the other thing. The fact that, um, and I know it's a cultural thing that, that um, barbecue is lunch in, in, in Texas. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, folks want to eat it for dinner too. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that don't have time. You know, um, there's a lot of places that have a lot of long lines in, in Central Texas. So I think that... I think that what could be really interesting is, some, you know, that these people start really incorporating dinner. I think it's, is it Styles that
1: does that now? Styles Switch, right. Terry Black's
0: Barbecue. Right. Uh, and
1: actually, Roland Smoke is a little truck on 6th Street, mm-hmm. and he stays up until 3, and you can get a beef rib at 2 a.m. on a Saturday. I mean, but
0: that's amazing. I mean, I bet he sells out. <laughs> it's I, bet pretty I, cool. I bet there's none left at the end yeah. of the night. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, I think that's you know, everybody everybody jokes around and like, oh, you should open a barbecue restaurant in Texas. And I'm like, this is the last place I move. And it's not. First of all, I'm not going to open that, that many restaurants. But but it, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, like, you know, even if I brought my own spin to what what I was doing, I don't think anyone would get it necessarily in Central Texas. But but I definitely think people should start considering the late night options, you know, because yeah. people do really want to have that for dinner. You know, think about it, a lot of, especially families that, that you know, want to all share a barbecue meal together in the evening, um, they either have to somehow find a way um, to get it in the afternoon and then to eat it not the way it was meant to be ate, um, or they just can't get it and eat it as a family and night. And, and I think there's a business to be made had had there that uh, People are, are, are open and serving barbecue until through dinner time, so I'm glad to see that that styles and uh, those other guys are, are doing that.
1: Well, and you know it's cool to see you. You know, you you got places opening up here. You're you're moving out of state too, and it's a uh, it's awesome to see everyone in the barbecue community, the barbecue family, growing. So yeah, I
0: mean. Um, the thing is, is like you got to leave your ego at the door in the barbecue community. If you have one, then you're definitely not going to be in our crew. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, you see how close the, the the people we run with are, and um, and that's you know, we, you know, there's no there's no self promoters within our group. You know, we're all, um, and I think I think that's what the guys out in LA really learned this weekend. It's like wow, I uh, you know we had reverence for these these folks and. You know, sometimes the people you look up to disappoint you, and um, um, I think they were really stoked that we spent so much time with them, talking with them, spending um, really quality time talking about techniques. And you know, I know M- uh, Matt Horn and I, and uh, and then Michelle and, um, and Andrew and Andrew had conversations. Uh, Pat um uh, from Martins in Nashville yeah. is one of the. Uh, How are you? Good morning. Um, He's one of the smart businessmen when it comes to the barbecue um, community. So I wanted them to be able to tap into um, having Pat as a resource to say, hey, listen, you know, yeah, you guys got this barbecue thing figured out. You know how to cook it. You're, you know, you're doing some of your own stuff and you're reaching in. But, um, but really you got to know your numbers and really you got to come really strong when it comes to running your business and uh, having a, a plan in place and knowing how to, you know, knowing what p PL, ls are and knowing what cost, uh, cost of goods are and, you know, and how to be a profitable business. And, and I, th- I see them all kind of a deer in headlights saying, wow, I'm not sure we thought of that. But, so I think Pat Martin is a great resource within our circle of family um for this young group of, of of guys and gals that are about to get into this brick and mortar game and because it's not easy i mean of course know, we, cinder we block pit game yeah or a cinder block pit game <laughs> it yeah was exactly. so cool yeah to see his giant pit yeah i didn't think he was going to cook the ribs in in the time frame that he did He got it done yeah 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 he they were a little late a little late <laughs> he's a little late. I, I kept hearing one of the gals running events say is Pat Martin not in his boot yet? And I, I kept laughing because I said, Pat, they're never going to be cooked in time. Never going to be cooked in time. But I will say I ate them. They were delicious. They were very good. Well, speaking of running businesses, I know you have to go try yep. eight hours worth of wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm already into the second one I've missed. So my team is going to, my team is going to, actually, they're going to be fine without me. Uh, two, you got a two great, great, team two great wine cool. mines there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got a great team all around. I couldn't do it with, you know, from, you know, You know, my dad was very specific uh, when we were growing up to treat the guys sweeping on the floor more important than the boss up at the top. And I think I've adapted that concept here. So, you know, we treat our dishwashers as good as we treat our uh, GMs and everybody's kind of an equal bunch of crew here. And, um, you know, it's what we're proud of the most. I mean, my head cutter, who's gonna get promoted now to like more of a management position, started at 19 years old as my dishwasher. Um, the number two guy, pit guy started as my dishwasher at like 21 years old, uh, and pretty much since day one they've been with me almost six years, five wow. or six years, uh, and I can go on and on and on. So we're really, really stoked about the fact that we keep it as in-house as possible. Uh, Mike, Mike, uh, who is the head pit guy, is now going on to be the culinary director kind of of all the businesses. Um, and Uh, this guy, Dave Gill, uh, who was started here as the bartender. He's this Aussie guy from Australia. Yeah, I Um, hung out with Dave in LA. uh, Yeah, he's one of the nicest guys, one of the nicest humans you'll ever meet. Dave is something of a prodigy, uh, to be honest with you. He, um, much like when I first started to put my hands on barbecue, it just felt very easy. and felt like I understood exactly what the texture should be. And... um, Dave is very much um, the same. He started here as a bartender, and um, we could see he was really, uh, when we had quiet days, particularly in the winter time, I put on contests here, like who makes the best burger or fried chicken. Nice. Whatever, so, and everyone's involved. The dishwashers can cook a dish. Everybody can cook a dish. There's not a lot of people in the building. So we just have fun, and I, during those things, you know, I kind of see, see him, his face, start to light up when he was putting flavors together and um, you know it's so funny now you know six months he started he started in the pits probably six seven months ago um, maybe a little more than that but uh, he kind of has this really unique feel for, for what's happening so you know another great story is speaking of Mike come on in here Mike come on in here Mike I gotta move the car oh alright all right, let's <laughs> we We're just talking about um, how a lot of the, the the roles in the restaurant are changing, and how we're really proud of the fact that you know our head cutter Jonathan, who's going to now move on to a bit of a management role here, is um, started as a dishwasher. Jeff, you're number two for a long time, yep. started as a dishwasher here, uh, and he's doing an incredible job. And then obviously Dave Gill as a bartender here. Yeah, he started as a bartender here and then now is going to be running the pits at hometown, you know. And to, to us, that's a very, very serious obligation. And um, we don't, you know, normally you would, you know, as you know, you would have years under your belt before you were going to get an opportunity to, to run the pits at a restaurant in Texas. And Dave was, I was kind of like saying Dave had a feel from the start. He was kind of. He did. Um, yeah, as much as this business could be, Technical. Um, it's about fit and caring, and when you find the person that fits in the crew and cares that much, they do a good job. They yeah. learn uh, and they care. Yeah. Dave's doing amazing at that. I've Never have guessed from the day he walked in the door. <laughs> Not nah, either. Not either. He's like a him, He has a he has a brother, and they have this rock band together. And like so between bartending me and or like a, a, a you know a rock rock musician, he was touring a little bit doing his thing. I never thought he'd have any interest in barbecue, like, at this level. And then I think we took him, did we We took him to Memphis in May, right? Yeah. I think that's what really got him going. We had him, we had him in Memphis in May one year cooking and he kind of went crazy. And uh, Yeah, that's what's it's happening right now, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. happening right now. I've been seeing, I've been seeing, I actually, I'm, ter- I'm, I'm I'm. not going to look at Instagram for the next, like, three days. <laughs> it's all going to be Because I'm a little, days. I'm a little overwhelmed <laughs> by all these barbecue pictures from Memphis and, um to all my friends down in memphis i love you and i hope you guys are all having a good time but uh we learned pretty quick that we we weren't meant for memphis you know the first (laughs) year well the first year i got invited down to memphis i um the first year i got invited down to memphis uh was by the shed yeah and brad orson brad's a good
1: friend of the show
0: yeah brad orson was like uh, him and Brooke were like, "Hey man, we'd love for you to come down and hang out with us and help us cook, and you know, you can cook the beef category for us." And uh, I was like, "Yeah, cool. I'll come down." And then you know, I think I got like 16th or something in beef that year out of like 130 <laughs> th- people, and I kind of like was like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." Then we wind up getting fifth in whole hog, and I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." They were like, "Oh, you have to come back next year. You have to be a part of this." And I was like, "Damn right. I got I caught the bug." Caught uh, and we went back next year, and sure as shit, you know, I got a really low, I got a good call on. Uh, I mean, I think it was a top ten or something in beef, and then, um, and then we won. We we won whole hog, and then we won the whole thing. And I was like, holy shit, I got a fifth first year, and now we 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 won the whole thing the second year, and then it becomes. The, so now I'm like, you know, then I was like, oh, we have to go it. down, yeah. You know? yeah. We so uh, so of course we went down, and we built uh, the coolest spot you've oh, ever seen. It looked like a. State of the art kitchen. we were actually showing the pictures of dorian yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We literally built a kitchen, so that was our thing. It wasn't like party place. It was we built an industrial kitchen. Wow. So we can cook. You know, we were literally cooking dishes. I'm pretty sure we were the only ones the walk-in. Yeah, we we brought <laughs> we, we rented a brand new walk-in, which was great because it was hundred degrees there, so we were just hanging out in there every fifteen minutes of the hour just to cool off and wow. There was other things going on in the cooler too. Um, but um, <laughs> keep uh, it cool. But yeah, everybody was keeping it cool in the cooler. But but for um, for us, you know, we, we we entered like some of the sickest food we ever cooked in our lives and they just didn't get it. You know, they yeah. They were just like, like And then we were like, I oh, will go back so one, we'll more one more year and, you know, we had a good time. Right we did yeah, it two I, years. I, yeah, I only went the last year. Oh okay, yeah. yeah. And we did it one more time, and the thing about Memphis in May is, is that when it comes down to it, you either stay with your own little crew, and that's what you do the whole time, yeah. and you kind of have, you bond with your own family. Um, or you get stuck at a bunch of you know 18 to 21 year old rap parties that go on till 6 in the morning. It's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah it's crazy and it's always raining there so you're always in the mud. <laughs> it's so, you know, I hate, you know, I hate yeah. trap music and all that music. So all you hear is that awful music kids throwing up on the street you know what I mean I'm 46 years old now like I want to be drinking wine in Burgundy and yeah. chilling could, out yeah it could become a collection of frat parties essentially yeah that's yeah, kind of they build what happens. those three story, story things exactly. yeah it's just too it's loud and, and I get it I get why all my my folks love it down there but for me I'm at the point in my life in my career where I want to just really focus on the businesses and focus on spending time with you know the people I that, that I care most about and you know and that that's really it. So Memphis, although it's a great time and, and, and all that stuff, it's kinda of, it's passed me by. I, yeah. I think I, I think I think if I'm ever anywhere near in their in Memphis or in Memphis in and I might pop in for like one day and get out of there right, right. away. Exactly. Yeah. It's so funny. We used to get all we I wanted to treat my guys like to stuff that, you know, you don't really get on a daily basis. So we would get we would get rooms in the Peabody Hotel, you know, Posh S <laughs> really Hotel. But then I was like I'm spending 5 6000 dollars on hotel rooms and we're never ever in the yeah, room. Yeah, you're not there at all. Right. Yeah, like we, yeah, you don't see it. You're like, "Oh, we're going to see the ducks <laughs> in the morning, going to do this." <laughs> you're gonna... We don't see anything. Well, we...
1: I I saw the ducks one time and I was like, "Get out of my way. I got to get to the." Pit. The only <laughs> the, the, the,
0: the only ducks thing ducks you do from. so this is a whole thing is you wake up <laughs> hungover. Yep. You 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 know, you're in a comfortable room in bed mm-hmm. and then uh, and then you come downstairs and uh, you walk to walk to the thing and then about i don't know one o'clock two o'clock in the morning you're begging room service to deliver you negronis to the lobby (laughs) can we get 20 negronis to the lobby and they would bring it you know it's so funny the bar wouldn't stop but they would they would allow you to order room service to the the thing so you had like all the clicks of memphis and may and you know negronis is kind of our thing in um in memphis and may the click that we hung out and everybody drank negronis so we'd order 20, 25 Negronis, yeah. actually Negronis and White Russians, Russian, right? That, right yeah. yeah,
1: we did, oh my god. yeah. White so
0: we Russians would do uh, rounds of Negronis <laughs> after White Russians, Negronis after <laughs> White Russians. Right. So, you know, and then it's 4 in the morning, you're like, oh shit, I gotta I gotta go pull, pull barbecue at 6.30 and I'll do it all over again. I'm so. pulling Will out of the diner. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's, hey, hey, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just a mess. It's the it's a, it gets the butchers, it's, so. it's certainly fun. Um, no regrets having done it. But For sure, it's not something I could do every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we have such a, you know, we're about to embark on you know all these new businesses, so we're just like right now just uber focused on this one thing, you know. So, um, but but I'm sure that I'm sure. What time is it right now? Eleven thirty. I'm sure there's uh, a lot of good times happening um, in Memphis right now. Yeah. Deep, and there's there's bags of Gus's out, fried man. chicken being eaten oh. right now. Yeah, the Gus's fried oh, chicken
1: is crazy. It's this, the greatest. Everyone goes there for dinner that Wednesday night.
0: Delicious. delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sorry. It's <laughs> delicious. delicious. Uh, it's delicious. One of the best in the country, for sure. Um, yeah, you guys got one in Austin. No, I think it'll never be the same as eating it in. Um, <clears throat> the original, original one outside of Memphis is a really, really special place as well. But the one on Front Street and. And Memphis is also like just superb. But yeah, it's fun well, to it's fun to walk in there and see you know fifty of your friends all eating in the same place. You know, so. And you got to try some Holland Rays when we were in. I did. LA. Yeah, I did. I, it was it was very interesting. Um, you know, obviously I'm not. Um, we know about lines. We have a lot of lines here as well, and um, and then you're always you know not sure if it lives up to that kind of thing. And. Yeah. Um, the, the thing, and I'm obviously on a pretty strict diet right now, so I couldn't eat much of it. But I had, I had a bite and It was very good. Um, but the thing about, um, the thing about that, that that I thought was really interesting was that it like that doesn't work here. Like people that try to open up hot fried chicken places in New York, um, it really doesn't 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 connect for some reason. I'm not sure why, because it's so dang delicious, but so good. it's so good. But it was really interesting for me to see L.A., and I think it's where they opened. I think kind of a lot like us, I mean, being in, in the middle of nowhere in a weird spot, I thought it was such an interesting pick for where they, they opened, and I'm not sure who they thought their original customer base was going to be, but, um, but it's, you know, God bless. I mean, yeah. There had to be, you know, eighty-five, ninety people, or whatever, on that line, and you know everybody was super excited. And you know, obviously, in the day and the age of um, of Instagram, you know, everyone was shooting photos of their fried chicken. And so I think they have, obviously, not think. I know they have something really good going on there, and a good concept, and something that they can like have a lot of longevity with it. So, well, and I think you'd love Johnny
1: Ray because Johnny Ray has got the same vibe as you. He, uh, I got to interview him while I was there, mm. and he talks about not only how can he treat his employees the best, but how can he make the business bigger so that he can offer them something more than, you know, he doesn't want to give them a ceiling. He wants to say, how can I double their salary? Well,
0: that's what we're you trying know? to do here, yeah. Mike, who is just here, um, is gonna be uh, tied in directly to the profit sharing of our, awesome. you know, this new uh, hometown we're doing in um, Industry City. It's a much smaller version of this. But he'll be tied in as a, a profit sharing partner in that. And then Mitch, the guy who started as my manager, the general manager here at Hometown, has now become a, a, a equity owner, you know, minor equity owner in all the business. No, it's okay. In all the businesses. Um, so that's Hometown, Hometown Tavern, uh, you know, event catering space, all, all, everything we're doing, um, except Miami, because so that's different partners. But. Um, but yeah, so we really, really strongly believe in, in that. Um, uh, and I know Pat Martin and I talk about this all the time. You know, Pat's people who are moving up with him, his pit people, that's what he's doing. He's putting them in place in all these new places and giving them a percentage of the restaurant. So they have a real strong equity share um, and they feel a real connection to the company. Uh, so if, you know, if you go, first of all, you never go into the restaurant business looking to make money. It's not really the, the goal. But when you do become successful, the first thing you should want to do is be able to pay it forward to the people who are actually putting in the hard work. And that's why I'm so, uh, it's so important for me to put Mike and Dave and these guys out front for people to know that, you know, I, I know what you think is happening at all the restaurants that you love, but the reality is, you know, all the main people um, aren't aren't really doing all the heavy lifting anymore. We did. Yeah, hey, you have to do it at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to do it. You know, there's no choice. And when we opened hometown, I was um, I was doing the full cook. I'd go to sleep and then I'd come home and cut. We were only we, we started service at five. Did you still live in the neighborhood then? I, uh, no. Well, I did. Outside, right outside the neighborhood. Okay. I lived about ten minute drive away. But, but yeah, so we would stay up on the cook all night, go home, spend a couple hours getting some rest. You know, the, the meat was, had a hold, uh, had a rest anyway. And then by the time we um, by the time we uh, got back for, you know, pre-service, um, that was it, I was ready to start cutting. So, and I think it's important that you have, you know, that, that you do that and you put your dues in and, and stuff like that. But it just becomes a point where you have to ask yourself, you know, I, can I establish a team that can do this so I can grow the brand and the business? If I want to grow the, band and the brand, if I want to do that, yeah. And uh, initially, it wasn't. I didn't want to grow the grow anything. I didn't want to do anything else. I just wanted this one thing. And um, but I think what happens is you realize that. You have a voice, and now you can make more of an impact on more people, and that really is the thing that's encouraging to me, is the fact that we're going to have, go. I don't know how many employees we'll wind up with, but with all these new restaurants opening, um, you know, once Miami's open, we'll probably go to over 100 employees. And to me, that's just, I opened this restaurant with 14 employees. Uh, Same size, same everything. I'm sure we weren't doing doing the volume anymore. But we were successful, but 14 people did that, and some of those people were bartenders, so it was only like three of us cooking. Um, So uh, very, very interesting to see where we've come and where we're going. Uh, So so this this has been a very stressful, anxious time in my life, but it's also, I think, um, over the next, six months we'll have a real grasp on how everything's rolling and then eventually um you know i'll be able to just bounce from place to place to place making sure that the standards are, are kept you know we like to try to think of running this restaurant as a michelin star restaurant um that does really simple humble food and it um, doesn't mean that our uh, Standards that can't be set as high as as high as a Michelin star restaurant. And that's that's what we strive for every day. Here.
1: Well, and uh, I think it's great because you can look back and you can look forward and you can see that at no point like you were just lifting everyone with you. You weren't on the backs of anybody. You weren't. You didn't really take anything. You've just given everything you can, and now you're here. So it, yeah. it shows that you know, I see it in the barbecue world. I, I, I didn't necessarily plan to have a show for years. I just thought I'd cover like the top 50 or I'd do something, but now that I'm in it and now that I've been, you know, I've known Clay for five years now and it, it's just great to see the love, the camaraderie, the, the, the family and, and just how everyone is working to not only improve their quality, but to make everyone, in the, I mean you've said hi to every single person. Whether there's an interview going on, like it doesn't matter because like you need to honor your people. Of course. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, these are the
0: people that allow me to um, fly and spread my wings and do what I'm doing now. And, you know, if it was up to me, they'd all be on the same, you know, we'd all be on the. you know, well, it is up to me. We're all on this ride together. And, yeah. Um, so we're, we're trying to set some really significantly high standards for, you know, how the employees are treated here. and. Um, and what, you know, what they get out. I remember uh, this year we weren't able to do it, but normally we do uh, a retreat for our employees. And not this year, but last year, we took everyone to a lake. We rented out a whole lake. And um, we, took, we took some guys out on a boat that are from a very urban, rough neighborhood. And we took him into the middle of a lake and then about, about midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And it was a very, very clear night. And we shut the boat lights off. And, uh, and it looked like it looked like you were literally under the stars, like you can touch them. And um, and one of the guys was weeping. And I was like, he's like, I, I don't know if I've ever seen the stars before. You know, and like when you can touch and impact someone's life like that, um, those are memories that you know, those are things that happen in your life that are, you know, will allow you to move, go on and on and on and on because, you know, you want to keep making people feel like that all the time. So, it was very unique that that specific event happened because, you know, I grew up in a pretty tough, you know, middle-class neighborhood, but, you know, I wasn't to the point where I didn't know what the stars looked like. You know, I would go out to Pennsylvania on the, you know, my, my grandmother had a little Little double wide in Pennsylvania, we'd visit. And, uh, so, but at least I got to see the mountains and smell the fresh air and stuff like that. And it was interesting, these guys never had fished before. They never have, you know, um, camped before. Um, so to see them with their wives and like hanging out and having this good time. So uh, we'll definitely get back on board with that this year at some nice. point and do that again. And, um, you know, it's a really great bonding uh, you get to, it's so funny, it's, um, it's when, uh, you know, with all this, uh, with all this, you know, as particularly with the Mexican community, with all this political stuff yeah. going on in, all, in the world right now, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of amazing to see the restaurant industry, how affected it's going to start being because, the people who are making some of the best food in America, particularly in New York City, and some of the great restaurants in New York City are, are Guatemalan and Mexican, and they're from all sorts of uh, communities, uh, and they're just the hardest working, most devoted, you know, never calling out sick. You know, and then you have the alternative, which is some privileged guy who's coming in. who's like every day's late to work, and you know, has no work ethic. And it's just incredible that we don't have a better system in place to uh, adopt these people into our communities, into our into our into our country, into our worlds legally somehow. I mean. They've proven they they pay they pay taxes. You know, it's 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 just crazy um, what's happening. So uh,
1: um, it's hard having a big heart and barbecue.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, listen, if you're if you're out there and you're just if you're selfish and you're just trying to do it. To make money or to have a fancy car or to do that, then you know, to me your shit's fucked up, and you need to check yourself. You know, well, and the community kind of checks them. H- have you noticed that? Like- yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, there's people in the barbecue community that I don't pay much attention to, um, and, uh, and you know, we have a pretty small group of people. I mean, obviously, it's no secret that Sam Jones and Pat Martin, you know, two of my best friends in life now, but like, obviously, we met through barbecue and. You know, I'll, I'll I'll wrap it up with this. Pat Martin, <laughs> Pat Martin is uh, Pat Martin, and I are on in an interview similar to this. I'm pretty sure it was a live interview, but it wasn't it wasn't videoed. It was it was a radio. Scene. And uh, and the the, the, uh, the woman who was interviewing us said, so so. I know, I know that you guys, barbecue guys, all have secrets and recipes that are secrets and stuff like that. And Pat Martin, <laughs> as quick as as quick as someone could say, as, as quick as someone can be, said, "Secrets are for assholes." And um, guys like me and him don't have any secrets. And 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 I, and I think that serves up, sums up our our crew of of barbecue um, family is that if you're not willing to pay it forward and if you're not willing to help your brother or sister that's having a bad time or their place burnt down or whatever is happening in that in that in their life in their community then you don't understand what this is because barbecue is not a business barbecue is a community it's a lifestyle it's a uh, it's a family and um I mean, look, look at Stan Hayes, and look at what Operation Barbecue Relief does. And, Incredible, it's yeah. uh, madness. They yeah. serve
1: millions of people now.
0: Yeah, millions of first responders and families that would be suffering without, you know, who had some of the worst losses of their life, uh, lost their homes, lost their loved ones, lost everything. Then also can't have a meal, and these guys just show up. Uh, uh, men and women just show up and cook. Tens of thousands, and hundreds of thousands of meals for them to have sustenance, and uh, for them to be able to have some kind of light at the end of their their dark day. So, um, you know, he's the perfect example of what's good and in, 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 in about this community, and um, and those are the people we want to surround ourselves with, and those are the people that we want to um, to uh, to support financially and to support. As volunteers, and um, and if you're not with that program, then we don't have a place for you in our little family here. So, and you know, there are people that are just selfish and out for themselves within our in our community too. But I think, like you said, I think they get sought saw pretty quickly, and um, you know, they live uh, lonely lonely
1: existences. Well, I I always hope that they can. Soften their
0: hearts and be more generous and join us
1: because it's easy.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, for us, it's you know, what what else could we want? You know, we we, we sit around fires, we cook barbecue, we um, we tell lies, <laughs> bullshit. We bullshit our asses off to yeah. each other, <laughs> um, but that's what makes it fun. Yeah, but we take care of each other's families and um, we bond really well. Uh, with each other, and um, one real quick story, and then, then I then want yeah, yeah, Jonathan and uh, Justin Fox. I get an email from Jonathan and Justin Fox several years ago, and the email said something like, um, Hey, I don't think you know us, we've been to your restaurant, we love it, and we've had such a great time. And, Our general manager is ill and has cancer and we're trying to get some of the best uh, pit pit men and women around the country together to raise some money for for this woman who had cancer. And I had never met him. I had honestly never heard of him. I I had no idea who they were. And I just wrote, I'm in, and then sent it off. And didn't realize that those two words would have such an impact on them and me at the same time. Um, about a day or two later, I got an email back stating, um, wow, we're so happy that you're going to be there, and it's going to mean so much to a lot of people. And just so you know, some of your friends will be there too. And it was like Mike Mills, Rodney Scott, Sam Jones, and Pat Martin, and, and on and on and on. was a wrecking crew of really Hell yeah. important people. <laughs> and um, and I went out there. Uh, Mike and I went out there, and um, we cooked beef rib, um, and we raised a really significant amount of money for 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 that gal who um, unfortunately succumbed to her, her her illness. But that, in a nutshell, is what we do and who we are um, in the barbecue community and the world. And Um, Not to mention that Jonathan and Justin Fox are two of my dearest friends now. And um, definitely two of the most philanthropic barbecue men um, that you'd ever want to meet. Always trying to put their staff, their team, their community first. And... um, and I think they're they're definitely a guiding force on so on how to be. Off, you know, they, they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for Hogsville cause every year um, in New Orleans, and uh, you know just couldn't just couldn't be better people. And you know, so so after two words, I'm in. You know, you get a couple of great friends for life, and you, know, you get to change the life of a family who you know needed money and yeah. at the time. And, but that, that, that was like a big turning moment for me, seeing all those people come together. I had already been cooking in a lot of charity events and stuff like that. And then, um, but that one really had a big impact on me. And then when she passed and I knew that you know, um, some, of the bill, some of the bills and some of the other stuff were gonna be taken care of, um, you know, that had a real impact. And, and then what uh, Chris Shepherd is doing in Houston, With Southern Smoke, Pat, Sam, myself, Aaron, Franklin, our friend Daniel Sotolinas from Cosme and Atla here, um, you know, so many other great chefs uh, uh, came down and cooked in that Southern Smoke event and raised a significant amount of money. And then about a month later from us raising all that money, we got an email from Chris and his team stating that there had been a serious traumatic uh, accident with a restaurant owner in town. And although part of of the proceeds of that thing went to MS, which is obviously significantly important uh, for us to to tackle that disease, the other part of their uh, charity is that all the monies go to industry employees, bartenders, awesome. um, cooks, waiters, porters, busboys, dishwashers, everyone. Um, and you, know, you submit a, a claim, if you will, um, tell us what your problem, not us, not me, but them, what, what your issue is, and they, they analyze it and they choose who gets money and stuff. And one of the guys was, you know, very, very, you know, so this guy uh, who owned like a, I believe it was a, a, either a sandwich shop or a pizzeria or something in Houston, wind up getting, uh, I think it was in a really bad motorcycle accident, if I remember right. We got this email um, and the mother was gonna have to uh, put her house up in order for him to get the care he needed in the hospital and, uh, and Chris wanted to show us the impact. Uh, Chris Shepard's is one of the great humans on the planet. and he, awesome. wanted, he wanted to show us the impact of that, uh, what we had done. And he said, because of what you guys did that day, we're writing this family a check for $100,000 today. And the mother is not going to have to put her house up for, uh, for sale. And, and Superheroes. So I, yeah, and not to mention, Chris, uh, at, before we left, gave Sam Jones $10,000. For his community, that had been uh, a hurricane had come through, um, and you know right, yeah. uh, his his area was saved, but an, uh, an area close by was demolished, and um, and uh, and he gave and he gave Sam ten grand to be able to go hand that community to to help with their stuff. So so seeing these things is what we're trying to do. So you know Chris and I and uh, Pat Martin and Sam we're all working on putting those kind of um, principles and philosophies of of philanthropy through what we do into our communities. So I know we're gonna do a Southern Smoke, some kind of style of that here in Brooklyn. And um, I know Pat's gonna do one in Nashville. Obviously we're gonna try to do one with Sam. Um, I think we're gonna wait with Sam. Sam's opening up in Raleigh, a bigger city. So maybe we'll... um, Wait for Sam to do it, but I think we're all now starting to really be interested in. Wow, you know we have some 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 success, and hey, you can all go away tomorrow. But while we while the iron's hot and while we're you know on top of our game, let's help as many people yeah. as we can. So I think that's our mission now is to um, you know. I'm, I'm in the process of canceling a lot of trips um, because of the restaurant openings and the conflicts and stuff like that. But Pat, Pat and I have been, Sam and I have been talking and essentially if it's not for emotional or financial support, we're not really interested in traveling and doing all these things anymore. Um, they, just, they just wear on you and, they, yeah. um, and they, uh, they're all the, they're the same every time. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's the same back of the house vibe. It's the same... You know, and they're all great and you're seeing your friends and you're, you're having fun. But at the end of the day, we have, you know, we have our businesses to, to attend to. And um, so we're really curious, uh, really, really protective, not curious, but protective of our time right yeah, now. It's valuable. It's valuable. So um, so if it's not emotional or really financial. Um, then we're, we're kind of passing on a lot of the festival stuff. And, uh, you know, food film festivals, stuff. No, not film, but food, food and wine festivals and stuff yeah. like that now. Um, but yeah, that's it, man. Right. It's good to see you, brother. Yeah. That I appreciate fun. it. Yeah, yeah, was cool, down, man. sitting down, Yeah. I wish I had
1: more time, or I wish you had more time. Yeah, I
0: think we got more than we bargained for in, Exactly.
1: And I'm excited to, uh, I'll be back in town next week after this bachelor party. I'm yeah, come state. back so you can eat. Yeah. no yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Hey, they come in and meat man, y'all to see me eat man. Hit on the meat, man, y'all to see me eat man. I got jaws like a bat, trapper teeth like a razor. I made tack tongue with a sensitive taster. I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a muscle greener showing the hell the like a meat I'm the meat man.